and welcome back. We're back um, to the European show. We had a, a nice nearly two-month break because of the World Cup. We were obviously enjoying that and we've came back now. And who also is back is Nick. So welcome back, Nick. Thank you very much, Jack. How are you doing? I am doing okay. So the first place we will start is the World Cup. We're not going to go through it all because obviously it's been a month that's passed. But and I think everyone should watch the World Cup anyway. So Exactly. So but obviously we do have our opinions and we're here to share that. Obviously we can't really like... We're going to really just look at the like awards that, that are given at the end of the tournament and give our like own twist on other awards as well. So... Obviously, we'll first look at the player of the tournament. Um, it was given to Lionel Messi, as obviously Argentina won. And I I, th- I thought about this and thought if there could be any other possible candidates for this award. Obviously, you could have um, Mbappe, or you could have also had Griezmann. But I, I came to the con- conclusion that for me... I'll go with Messi as well, solely because if Messi wasn't in this Argentina team, this Argentina team wouldn't make the final in any way at all. As they just, in reality, take Messi out, they're not as good, and they wouldn't be in this position they were in. And Messi was the reason why they won most of their games. I I do agree. Messi was quite good. Okay, granted, a lot of his goals were penalties, but... He contributed a lot more than just goals. He was a creator. He was making the danger. He assisted quite a few goals, in particular that that um that uh Nahuel Molina goal against the Netherlands. No one else could have created that pass. So so Messi did more than just scoring goals. And the few goals he did score that weren't penalties were all really quite good and quite important, especially the two in the final. So well, it was a penalty, but but you know you know where I'm going. So I, I absolutely think Messi dragged this Argentina team, which which wasn't like bad in terms of quality, but with Messi, he just elevated them to to a different level. Then, well, young player of the year, um, this went to Enzo Fernandez, who some people probably never heard of before the tournament, and he he won young player of the tournament. This is the first one I disagree with. Um, because I just don't think he has been the most standout young player. Like, if you can think of the stuff that he did, um, like any memorable moments, you, the only thing you can think of is when he scored against Mexico, and that is it. Whereas, obviously, for other players, like the likes of Jude Bellingham, you can remember that he, he also scored against um, Iran, and then also had just a, a great game against Senegal. But the young player that I've gone for is Josko Gavardio. Um, obviously, he's 20 years old, and he just kind of was at the heart of this just solid Croatia unit that managed to finish third again. He obviously scored in a third-place playoff as well, but he was, he was really quite key in in Croatia... Um, beating the likes of Brazil um, and Japan as well. I do very much agree with that with that pick for for young player, and I would be inclined to go similar. But 
I would go for actually Julian Alvarez, uh, a player who was rotated along uh, along Argentina's lineup. He wasn't always starting. Sometimes he was coming on as a sub. Uh, also quite a young player. And despite that, he still got four goals. And he was generally quite good when he was on the pitch. And his goals are all like really quite important goals, in particular uh, the one against the Netherlands. And they were really good goals as well. So I think he takes my, my, my pick for young player of the year, actually. Of the, then, not of the year, of the, of the tournament, you know what I mean. Then we'll go for goalkeeper of the year, of the tournament. And the person that won it was Emmy Martinez of Argentina. But um, I would go with Yassin Bono of, of Morocco. Because without Bono, Morocco don't beat the likes of Portugal. Whereas, um, yeah... Bono put, Bono put in a man of a match performance in that game and obviously you kind of have to be yeah there's, he, he deserves it more than the likes of Martinez and I especially think due to the fact that Morocco were just underdogs throughout the whole tournament um, they deserve such a uh, or he deserves it I, I, I agree as well I mean Martinez saved a lot of penalties fair enough and he did have that great save against Colomwani in the 123rd minute, which was invaluable. However, I think in terms of consistency and, and just amazing performances, Bono was basically 10 out of 10 in, in every game. May, he, he, has, he stuttered a little bit in the game against France, and sure, he could have said he, done, he, did a, he could have done a little better, especially from what we saw of him. But he still did a fine job. None of the goals can really be fully blamed on him. And in all the previous games, like you said, he was just... there. It wasn't just uh, the game against Portugal, against Spain. He was quite solid. Most importantly, he, he saved a few penalties in the shootout. Um, and during the group stages, he was very strong as well, uh, in particular against Belgium uh, and Croatia. So we, we really saw a, a player at the best of his abilities there. Overachieving team, I think, obviously, that... The main one here is Morocco. They're the first African team to make it to the semi-finals. Um, we say overachieving of this is a bad thing. Obviously, in this case, it's not. Obviously, Morocco could have even beat France as well if they their managers decided to tinker a bit in the semi-final because they had injuries and stuff. But if they continued with what had worked for them, I, I genuinely believe they probably could have even beaten France because they showed that they had the capability to do that for the majority of the game. And you could argue that for the majority of the game, apart from when uh, Carlo Morani and Hernandez scored, they, Morocco were on top. Yeah, absolutely. They did lack finishing uh, and really that last pass in the box, but they looked better than France in, um, it, throughout basically the whole game. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, they had they had a squad which doesn't was which wasn't as star studded as the biggest opponents they faced. However, through through really good tactics and hard work and discipline, they they made it to the semi finals of the World Cup, which is absolutely insane. So Morocco comfortably deserves that that spot as the as a team that pulled the best out of out of what they had. I think um, Japan also deserve some credit. Obviously, Japan are a good team. But it's the fact that they, the group that they came out of, um, they beat the likes of Spain and they also beat the likes of Germany as well, and they came out of this the group somehow um, on top. Uh, so they definitely deserve their props. 
now we're going to look at the uh, it's hard to define this this award for what it is we're basically going to give awards for the player that um seems to turn into the best player in the world um at in at an international tournament and then goes back to mediocrity obviously you could be like oh it's Guillermo Ochoa no we're going for Denzel Dumfries because twice now not only in this World Cup but in the Euros as well he basically turns into the best right back in the world and then he just goes back to being completely average for Inter Milan um, I also think Bruno Fernandes is a good shout he's not a full on fraud I think he occasionally gels together good games for uh, for Portugal no, sorry for uh, for Man United but he just plays so much better in, in this Portuguese side that he does at club level these last few seasons that he I'm, I consider him a strong runner up for, for this award and that and obviously we're, we're looking at the overachieving team as well or the underachieving team uh, for me well, there's two main candidates. There's two main candidates here, and obviously we're both gonna pick both of them. Uh, so I will talk. Germany are one of them. They finished. They knocked out the group stage for the third, for the two second time in a row, which in itself is a bit of a joke. Um, when they had to players at the disposal to go a lot further <laughs> they nearly lost they nearly went on like without a win because obviously there were times against Costa Rica where they were just where they were behind and it just looked even more tragic than what it was supposed to be um, obviously the only standout player for them at the tournament was Jamal Musiala who was literally carrying the team on his back uh, Hansi Flick decided he insisted in fact on playing Thomas Muller up front Despite the fact that when Tom, when Thomas Muller wasn't playing up front, and they had, although we, we joked about it a bit, Nicholas Fulkrug as their striker, Germany were a lot better team. Um, Fulkrug was actually Germany's top goal scorer as well, which in itself says a lot. Um, their defence was relatively tragic as well. They they lack good fullbacks. They played Lucas Klosterman, Nicholas Sula and Tilo Kera, all at times, who were actual centre-backs, at right-back, and it did not work in any way at all. Left-back, you have David Ram, who's a bit of a lost cause. And then it was the fact that Flick insisted on playing Gundogan, despite the fact that Gundogan was rather ineffective when he did play. All this has contributed to Germany's decline at this tournament, and it really has really resulted in like an inquest into how things are done. Because obviously when they got knocked out at the at the World Cup, you, they were quite obviously, it was all the players that kind of won the World Cup in 2014 on the decline. Whereas now, this is a completely new generation of players and they're still on the decline. And obviously it's not looking good when their next competitive game is the opening game of the European Championships in Germany in a year and a half from that or from now? Um, so it's not really looking that good for Germany. Yeah, I do agree. 
um, they they do seem like they're not quite gelling with uh, with Hansi Flick's ideas and tactics, and and like you said, they they have some very weak positions that uh, that are leaving them uh, exposed. But speaking of teams with weak positions and uh, in bad situations, Belgium, they are for me easily the um, the underperformers of the tournament. Uh, granted, they've they've always been um, not quite at their best uh, since they've been with with Roberto Martinez. Uh, they could have always reached further. Granted, 2018 World Cup, they do, they did do quite well, but uh, but they still, you, you you do feel like that like that team just had so much more potential for more, and now as as the team just gets older and we, especially in defense, Belgium begins to have less options. You realize that that the team is basically screwed. In this World Cup, they had some awful performances, uh, similar to um. Similar to Germany, they almost went completely winless uh, because they did indeed beat Canada. But it was such a marginal one-nil win where they could have conceded like four goals that it, it, it in in spirit it doesn't really count as a win. Just everything was so slow and lethargic. The defense is just slow. There's no there's no left back for the team. There's literally no left back. Castan, yeah, you, you can put Castan or Meunier as right back, and they do a an adequate job but but there's no like actual proper left-footed left-back plus Vertonghen and Alderweireld did put in good performances I do have to respect them for that but at the same time they're both like really quite at an age where they're not like at the point where they can carry at international tournaments plus in midfield especially holding midfield there wasn't really anyone Telemans, Witzel, and Donker they're strong players they're quite good but they, they just never really do amazing for the national team and so the passing was always really bad. Teams were, were able to read and close down Belgium really, really easily. And then speaking of old players, I don't know why Dries Mertens was playing. I don't know why... Well, Hazard was quite good when he played. But um, but I think other players, younger players, like maybe De Catilera or, um, or Jeremy Doku should have been given the chance because I think they would have brought a lot of speed and vitality to the team. De Bruyne was awful. He was really awful for Belgium this tournament as well. There was a few um, comments he made which suggested that he'd felt fallen out of love with the national team. But um, but there was maybe half an hour during the tournament where he was actually decent. Um, and then, of course, Romelu Lukaku, a, a player who always does show up for the national team, to be fair. Even when he's at his stinkiest form, he always does show up. And then this tournament, particularly the game against Croatia, was just horrible three or four chances that my grand could score he just fluffed his lines so badly and basically single-handedly knocked Belgium out of the of the tournament in that game but still just nothing was working the team both both a lack of quality of players and a horrible manager basically just killed off the last generation the last tournament for this final golden generation and and well, there you have it. Belgium are out. I, th- I think the issue the issue that Belgium now has is, as you mentioned, is the lack of quality players coming in for like some of the stalwarts and the, and the good players. So if we look at twenty twenty four, obviously De Bruyne will still be playing. The same with Lukaku, but then obviously who's replacing the defenders? Because obviously you don't. At, I think at the peak of Belgium's defence in 2018, when you had 
of a Vitongan or the Vyrot and company, um, it's very hard to beat them when they're on at the at the best. But now, there are no defenders coming through that will reach the heights that they did. They're players that win league titles and they make Champions League finals. Um, whereas obviously now you have Woke Faze who's scoring two own goals in a game. Uh, and you don't really have the players that can come in at the moment. There may be a hidden gem that no one has found yet that can do such a thing. Um, but at the moment there is no players that can come in and do... Um, an effective replacement and there's the same in midfield where you have the likes of Axel Witzel who is past his best now I think that's, that's quite obvious he doesn't have the the physical capability to match playing in a midfield maybe he's good at centre-back like he is with Atletico Madrid but um, in midfield he can't do that and then you have to his currently his replacements Andre Onana um, obviously Onana chose Everton which says a lot already, um, because he could potentially be playing in the Championship next year. Obviously, Onana has the quality there. Um, he just didn't really show it at this World Cup, which obviously is quite hard to do when you only play three games. Then, obviously up front, we've mentioned Lukaku. There is where Belgium has the talent and the prowess. They have Jeremy Doku, who was... One of the reasons they were so competitive against Italy in the Euros. They have Charles de Catalera, who has obviously struggled to get going at um, Milan, but he, he has the quality there as well. And obviously they have the likes of Loris Appender, who can come off the bench. Um, he's doing well with Lons in Liga. So they have the quality there up front. It's just everywhere else that it matters that they're significantly lacking. And, and Roberto Martinez obviously decided to leave Belgium right after the game. And now he's suddenly Portugal manager. He's the biggest con man I've ever seen. He's basically, he ruined Belgium. And now he's going to go ruin Portugal. And he's going to play João Felix as a right wing back. Well, I mean, not too far from Simone to be fair. No, it's jokes. But no, I, I do. Roberto Martinez is... Such a scam. He should have been let go from the Belgium national team after the 2016 Euros because that was a, such a disappointing end to the tournament. And, and there you're already beginning to see the signs that he wasn't really fit to, to manage this, this team. I, I don't know how he made it, what, six more years as Belgium manager? It's utterly insane. And yeah, he's, he's absolutely taken away all chances of a, of a, golden, of a trophy for this golden generation. But, uh, but yeah, I, I hate Roberto Martinez until the day I die. We just have to see what he does with Portugal. Uh, so now we'll have a break and then we'll be back with looking back at the football. Welcome back from our break. We will now look at La Liga, where... Um, there's been some interesting developments over the time that we've been gone. Yes, indeed. First of all, Real Madrid are looking lethargic after coming back from uh, from the World Cup. Um, they lost uh, in a game against Villarreal with the classic horrible La Liga refereeing. Um, there was two penalties, one for Real Madrid 
one for um, one for by one for Villarreal. Neither of which should have actually been penalties. They were both the stupidest calls. Um, well, both of them were converted by the respective penalty takers, Karim Benzema and Gerard Moreno. Um, and what made the difference for Villarreal was was Yeremi's goal uh, to make the one nil. But uh, but overall, uh, Real Madrid didn't quite look um, particularly good. I think maybe their players uh, still have a lot of World Cup fatigue, uh, even though it's been some time. Um, Modric, Tremeni, and Kroos in midfield all played. Kroos got knocked out really early, so it doesn't really count. But um, particularly to Tremeni, who what? Oh, he didn't go. Well, particularly uh, Modric and and Tremeni. Modric um, is quite old, and and so fatigue builds up quite easily with him. And Tremeni made it to the final, playing every game and putting in an absolute shift in each one. Fuck, I should have put him as my young player of the tournament. Um, whatever. Uh, and meanwhile, the defense was just not turned on. Alaba, who usually uh, puts on like great performances, was not really good. And Mendy, Ferland Mendy, maybe played his first actually not good game with, with Real Madrid. He was pretty weak on that left side. Honestly, I blame the, the loss on the fact that Real Madrid uh, put forward a starting lineup without a Spanish player for the first time in history. So that's what you get for disrespecting your roots, really. Um, but yeah, overall, this does mean that uh, Real Madrid are now three points off the top before they were tied with Barcelona. And this happened because Barca won a, a pretty important game for them in a 1-0 in victory over Atletico Madrid. If I'm being honest, this game was dreadful to watch. It had zero energy, which is completely bizarre for two of the biggest teams. Well, not the biggest ones, but two of the biggest teams in the league playing against each other. You would have expected a high intensity, full concentration game. Neither team was turned on. In the 20th minute, all 22 players were walking around the pitch when the game was still nil-nil. It was completely incomprehensible. But overall, it just became a matter of Atletico Madrid playing so badly that Barcelona were able to capitalize uh, on their mistakes. Dembele was basically given the wing, the, the right wing, completely free the whole game. And uh, if he was a, a, a consistent player and a good finisher, he could have put four goals in the back of the net. But, but he didn't quite manage it because he likes to get tangled up with himself. But, uh, but still, the goal came from a magical run by Pedri uh, through Atletico Madrid's midfield. They just kind of tried to chase him, but didn't. And then um, he plays, plays a good pass to Dembele, who scores. But, yet, but after that, the game died even harder. Um, essentially, the only highlights were, were Pedri and Gavi putting in strong performances. Um, then some quite good clearances. Um, by Ter Stegen and Araujo from difficult chances from, from the line uh, and then Atletico Madrid had nothing to to actually be proud of at all in that game everyone just lazy and walking on the pitch Pablo Barrios put in an adequate shift but you can you can tell that he's still a bit young and inexperienced for this this is only his fourth game uh, ever playing in Atletico Madrid's first team really actually the only highlight uh, for Atletico in this game was Savage grabbing Ferran Torres by the balls I don't even know why that happened. Ferran Torres was just... He was winning the game. There was no need for him. He's just been subbed in. He's He's been subbed in. He is young. He's fit. And he is a racing savage. Who is a 32-year-old centre-back. Who's been playing like 90 minutes in the game. So it's a, it's a matchup he should be winning. It's, it's a matchup that Ferran Torres should be winning. But he's not. He's not winning it. And then he just gets angry... And he just 
wrestles um, Savage to the ground for some reason thinking that he can win this fight as if he wasn't as if he wasn't up against Savage like come on and then so Savage they just begin literally wrestling it was so it was weird bizarre seeing this in a football game they're just wrestling on the ground and then Savage just grabs him by the balls and, and Ferran just screams like a baby and it was weird they both got they both got sent off and they'll probably get sanctioned for a few games but, uh, but honestly the most entertaining part of the part of the match Atletico Madrid did have some opportunities in the final minutes to equalize but no one in the team can finish for the life of them so it ended 1-0 in favor of Barcelona which are now as I said earlier three points clear of the top um, in other impressive results uh, we see Betis go up to fourth spot after a 2-1 victory over Rayo Vallegano uh, this team has, has been quite good in recent years under Pellegrini and uh, and maybe we'll see them actually fighting for a, for a Champions League spot properly uh, this year if they don't capitulate towards the latter end like they did last year and then the other team that is pushing for a, for a high spot is Real Sociedad with a 2-0 win over Almeria and they cement themselves uh, in third spot uh, only four points behind uh, Real Madrid in fairness which is not bad at all and and again they're, they've been quite good in recent years led mostly by uh, by David Silva and uh, Miquel Merino who is one of the best uh, Spanish midfielders at the moment and should have definitely gone to the World Cup but uh, we can we can debate about this for ages then by far the most uh, notable uh, result of the, the most notable result of this weekend was Sevilla actually winning a game they beat Getafe um, 2-1 to in, in a crucial victory crucial victory to uh, drag them out of the relegation zone granted they're still uh, tied on points with the 18th spot team but honestly I think this team just deserves relegation they just need to clean out their whole squad restart go to second division get out all the lazy players and just begin again um, obviously I'd like all credit to go to Bono for this victory but that's just not it it's actually crazy because Sevilla has one two three Four, five players who went to the World Cup, of which three were in the semi-finals: Bono, Enesiri, and Acuna. And they're still terrible, especially Acuna, who literally won the World Cup playing occasionally. He, how, how do you mismanage that so badly? It's it's insane. Well, I mean, to be fair, the players themselves, other than Bono and Enesiri, are are quite bad. But it's it's strange seeing seeing such a star-studded team performing so unbelievably badly. But but that's that that's been it for La Liga. There have been some interesting uh, transfer news coming out. Well, least interesting is Barcelona basically said we're not going to sign anybody, and Real Madrid doesn't really seem keen on signing anybody either, and Atletico Madrid just seems to be ruining their whole squad. Essentially, they sold um, Mateus Cunha. They're uh, not really a, a super important player, but still they're rotation striker. Uh, and now they're most likely going to send out João Felix on loan to, to Chelsea for a few months. So now Atletico Madrid will be left with three attackers, Morata, Correa and Griezmann, of which two of them are not very good. Then there's Griezmann, who is very good, but he doesn't know how to finish properly. So Atletico is just not going to be scoring goals, I guess. 
it's it's an utterly bizarre and stupid situation to be in. They might sign someone like Borja Iglesias from from Real Betis, but um, but nothing substantial really that could um that could replace the the offense, offensive power which they lost. Which to be fair, they didn't have much of to begin with. But uh, it's it's just not looking good. Uh, João Felix leaving on on a short loan, granted. Uh, it's probably a smart decision because obviously it's well known that him and Simeone were on really bad terms um, and and Joao Felix didn't really do much for the team he was he was always like a little bit of a lazy player kind of walking around distracted in, in the game against Barcelona he kept trying really ambitious passes but he wasn't like concentrating it's more like he was just like trying to show off more than anything and he wasn't connecting anything he wasn't running around to collect the ball so I think he's not suited to to the team as it is right now anyway. So it's best for him to, to leave and best for Atletico to um to find someone else to fill his spot in the meantime. But uh but it's not looking good for Atletico right now. It's also worth noting that Gareth Bale has retired from football, but he seemingly did that uh, three years ago anyway. Um I mean I think out. he did I think he did that after the twenty eighteen uh, Champions League final Yeah, he just stopped playing football after <laughs> he stopped playing football, yeah, he just started playing golf. But uh, obviously a decent player. They did some good things here and there. Uh, famous for ending Mark Barcher's career before it even began. But um, but yeah, quite a good player. So now we'll look at Serie A, where Juventus, obviously. Juventus are a mess off of the pitch, but they seem to have it all in order on the pitch. Originally, it had all gone downhill. You know, they, they got knocked out of the Champions League. They were just playing... Terrible football, but somehow now they've turned it around. In mid week or a week ago today, they beat Cremonense 1 0, and then at the weekend, they beat Udinese 1 0. They did both need late goals to win these games, but on top of that, and on that, Juventus are on an eight game win streak in Syria, and they're now second. They're only seven points off of Napoli, who are still first. Um, but yeah, they've managed to turn themselves around quite convincingly as well. But obviously when they come up against Napoli, this may be a completely different story. Yeah, absolutely. Napoli are the, the team of, of, well, obviously first in the, first in the, um, obviously first in the table. But they're the, the team of the season so far. They've been banging great performances. However, it does seem... Like um, they began to crack just a little bit. Um, some cracks have begun showing after they uh, lost one 0 against Inter Milan, which uh, suggests that now with fatigue building up and more experience coming into play, and uh, and the season getting further underway, um, teams learning more about them as well. They can't maybe can't make it against the big teams, but uh, well, obviously time will tell. Maybe it was just an outlier, but that was their first loss of the season actually. So hopefully this doesn't begin. Um, but hopefully this isn't the beginning of a slippery slope for Napoli and they recover mentally and are prepared to face Juventus because uh, what they're doing is really impressive and obviously it's a clash between the first and second teams in the in the table um, Napoli are seven points ahead so it is quite a safe lead, lead so far but it's not halfway through the season yet so you, you do have to be careful for, for slip-ups and, and suddenly running into some bad form yeah obviously Juventus are quite good right now 
which is very strange and unusual too to see. It's not even that they play good football, it's just that they can get the results out, which is obviously very impressive. Milan kind of like succumbed their lead at the top. Uh, they In the first game back, they beat Salernitana 2-1, um, but this weekend they did throw away a two-goal lead against Roma. In fact, Roma scored twice in literally the final five minutes to to equalise, and that obviously allowed Juventus to catch up. Inter Milan have managed to turn themselves around. They're now fourth, um, three points off of Inter and Juventus. And and yeah, I, I think the race for top four in Italy. Or the three main teams, Juventus, Milan, Inter Milan, they're currently three points ahead of Lazio and Atalanta and Roma, but they're slowly slipping away. And there's already a gap between the European places and everyone else. So it's definitely really going to be a fight between the top seven teams for who finishes where. Obviously, we, we hope that Napoli can continue their good run of form. So now we'll have a goal... Uh, our, our anthem break and then we'll be back with Vigo. Au nord c'était les la terre c'était le charbon Le ciel C'était l'horizon Les hommes Les mineurs de fond Welcome back from our anthem break you just heard the Lawrence Gold song So Nick, what do you rate it out of 10? Um, it's fine, um, nothing too special, kind of a generic French song, honestly, but uh, at least it's kind of relevant to the club. I give it a 5 out of 10. I'm going to give it a 3. It's not really, I wouldn't say it's something you'd listen to before a football game. It's quite tame compared to other ones we've listened to before. Yeah, I do agree. Now, on Lons, um they've provided an upset and a pretty big one as well. They beat PSG 3-1, which sees them close the gap on PSG to four points, which in itself is crazy because Lons only only got promoted two years ago. So it's, it's crazy that they're able to compete at such a high level and they've just gradually made their way back up because bear in mind they were good around 20 years ago or so. But now they've made their way back up and they're able to compete with such a Goliath that is PSG. This is literally David versus Goliath. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We see so many times that, uh, that PSG, for some reason, can't win consistently enough in Ligue 1. And, and suddenly you get um, lower quality teams uh, overlapping them and winning the league. Well, it happens about once every three years and it's completely incomprehensible how that's ever allowed to happen. But at the end of the day, Lons seem to really be pushing forwards and, and, and capable of, well, at least putting up a good fight. Um, and so hopefully they, they can keep it up. 
uh, I'd love to see a Monaco or a or Lille type of situation, um, especially from a team that's just been recently promoted. Obviously, their manager and their players deserve full credit um, for for this great run they're having, especially to beat PSG, which is not an easy feat. Um, even though they didn't exactly have their strongest squad on the pitch, they still had very very good players, and obviously, to score th- three goals past a defence composed of Hakimi, Marquinhos, Ramos, Nori Mukele and Donnarumma is not <laughs> is is not something you just do by accident. It's just something you do with quality. So uh, Lons are, are definitely doing very well at the moment and I just hope to see them getting something out of this very good run. Yeah, they definitely I definitely think they will be playing European football next season but whether they um, win the league though is a completely different question obviously we would love to see that happen then the rest of the league we see uh, Marseille are third and they beat they beat Montpellier 2-1 Rennes are fourth who beat Nice 2-1 um, Nice have actually sacked Lucien Favre jokes on you for not joining Gladbeck <laughs> and Monaco are fifth um, and they did they beat Brest 1-0 because obviously the likes of Leon and Leo are still languishing quite outside um, the top, or where they should be really. And so now we'll look at the Bundesliga. There has been no football, but there's been a lot of interesting stuff that has happened. We've seen a return in pre-season, or pre-season, in this winter training break of the likes of Florian Wirtz, who's been out since March, and Sebastian Haller as well, who... Obviously, he's recovered from cancer and is already in pretty good shape as well and could potentially be starting, or not starting, but definitely making an appearance for Dortmund in their, in, in their restart against Augsburg. But the biggest story is about Manuel Neuer. So after Germany got knocked out of the World Cup, Manuel Neuer went on holiday and he went skiing. He proceeded to break his leg while skiing. Um, how noise whether he's broken just one of his bones in his leg or both of them is is unknown and um, some people think he may have broken both legs which means he'll be out for a lot longer um, so he will miss the rest of the season that is a guarantee obviously that now means Bayern have one senior goalkeeper in Sven Ulreich who isn't the best and so what Bayern first did was they decided okay we'll go for Alexander Nubel who is their goalkeeper on loan at Monaco. Nubel never liked being the replacement of Neuer because he didn't like waiting because he was always told he'll he'll replace Neuer eventually but Neuer never seemed to drop in form or actually looked like slowing down for Nubel to replace him. So he got fed up and moved to Monaco so then Bayern contacted him and they're like okay we want you back but then uh, Nubel decides that he'd rather not come back unless Bayern get rid of their goalkeeping coach. He's called Tony Tapalovic. Um, he doesn't really get along with Nubel. Bayern Munich said no. So that means Nubel was like, okay, then I probably won't come back. Bayern is still trying to push for Nubel to come back, but it's looking less and less likely. Originally, Bayern set a deadline of last Friday for a goalkeeper to be signed, because obviously they travelled to Qatar for their winter training camp, which is quite funny in itself. Then, for their replacement, they looked at other goalkeepers. There were reports that they looked at Bono, 
or Dominic Levakovic of Croatia, who plays for Dinamo Zagreb, as they want a long-term replacement for Neuer, because it's no, not known whether when Neuer comes back, if he's going to be at his best again. And so they look towards Jan Sommer, with Borussia Mönchengladbach. Obviously, Jan Sommer turns into the best goalie in the world when he plays against Bayern Munich. And the issue here is you're encountering a back and forth between Gladbach and Bayern now. Is Gladbach have basically, they obviously, you wouldn't want to let go of one of your best players in the middle of the season. That's one thing. The next thing is they need the money to then buy a replacement for Sommer. Um, so Gladbach are demanding around eight. Eight million, eight to ten million for Sommer, so they can buy a replacement. Whether that be, he's called Jonas Omlin of Montpellier or Philip Kuhn of South. They want to buy either one of those two. Obviously, these two teams don't want to give up their goalie halfway through the season either. Um, so it's just this, it's backwards food chain really, where Bayern rely on Gladbach, but Gladbach rely on one of these two teams. To, break, to let go of their goalie um, for Gladbach to, to sign them. So Gladbach need the money to buy a replacement, but Bayern aren't willing to pay the money that Gladbach are asking for for the replacement. And because of that, Bayern won't be able to get their goalkeeper. And it's worth noting that Bayern's season begins in nine days. And they don't have a, a replacement goalkeeper yet for for, for Manor Neuer and is looking increasingly likely unless they decide to pay this money for Sommer that they will be starting against Leipzig of all teams with actually a competent goalkeeper which in itself is quite funny because now Bayern are having a uh, season is now at risk because they also play PSG which if you don't have a good goalkeeper it's going to be incredibly difficult to beat them actually I take that back We've seen how PSG do against good teams. So it'd be incredibly interesting what actually happens between Bayern and whether they're able to solve this goalkeeping issue. Because you obviously have Nubel who's too stubborn to go or to leave Monaco because his ego is too big. Um, rightly so though. And then you also have Jan Sommer who wants to go to Bayern. Rightly so. But... Gladbach are not letting him leave because obviously they can't replace him in any way, which is also fair enough. So it's just this deadlock between all these different teams, all because Mano Neuer decided to go skiing. Um, so yeah, there has also been Ajax who have, who have struggled greatly um, in, the, in the latter part of the year as well as beginning this year. Yeah, Ajax have been in dreadful form. Yeah, Ajax have been in dreadful form recently, uh, at least by by their standards. They won one out of the last five games against uh, <laughs> against RKC uh, Volvic, one of the lowest, uh, one of the teams, one of the worst teams in the league. Um, and since then, they've lost against PSV. Um, and then uh, obviously they're strong rivals and then this weekend they pulled out another draw against Nijmegen after drawing the previous two games in a row and so they've blown a, a pretty strong lead that they had uh, at the top of the table they've been overtaken by Feyenoord and now they're equal on points with uh, PSV who would have overtaken them um, if they hadn't drawn against Sparta Rotterdam but uh, but now these two are, are equal on points 
uh, Tevente, a team that's only been recently promoted, and Azad Alkmaar, who in French are quite good, are both only one point behind Ajax. So they're they're um, falling into the into the danger of of irrelevancy basically, and um, it's basically I think mostly a, a disjoint from the the managers and the and the players. Um, Alfred Schroeder has really not been um, getting through to his players recently. Um, well, they began it quite good. Um, not, not now it's just not really. Uh, it's just they don't really follow his vision and they don't really respect him as much as it seems. So I think uh, it's going to take some effort to regain trust of the changing room and slowly build up again because because Ajax really needs to improve if they want to basically reach the levels they've been reaching over the last few years. Because the squad is quite good. Um, sure, before there was questions about the defense, but during Timber. Uh, kind of recovered some form after the World Cup, after playing horrendously beforehand, and um, and their new uh, fullback signings uh, have really been quite good. They also desperately need a new goalkeeper. That is just a fact. Um, Pasver is doing a fine job for a 39-year-old, but he is a 39-year-old. Uh, he can't. He's not the level that you need for a for a top table team. Yeah. Meanwhile, obviously, Feyenoord are the most impressive. Um, having well taken top top spot, uh, the last time they won the league was a few years ago. So if they can keep this up, uh, they'll they'll break their their rival uh, Ajax's hegemony. But um, but yeah, that's that's most mostly what's going on in the Eredivisie. And and then in Belgium, Club Bruges sacked their manager because of how poor they've been doing. They've hired Scott Parker, who formerly managed Bournemouth, and. They they lost his first game in charge against Geg, who are top of the league. And it's also worth noting Union Saint-Loire are still second. So last season was not a hoax whatsoever. And in fact, now it's even more impressive due to the fact they had the manager poached by their rivals and the best striker left for Brighton, but they're still able to compete at the top. Yep, absolutely. It's one of the, well, I, I guess one of the most impressive things about uh, the Belgian league in the last few seasons is is Saint Gilois um, getting to the point that they have, and it, and it kind of shows that it wasn't all about just that one player, that one that one manager, because De- Dennis Undav um, hasn't been particularly impressive since his transfer either. So it's not that they're just being carried by one um, excellent player basically, so which which shows that that really they're a team and 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 they play well together, and um, and hopefully. We'll see if they can make up for their brutal chokage last season. They bottled it so badly, but uh, but maybe this year they can do the opposite. They can they can come back from behind and and end up winning the league. But but we'll have to see how it goes. Really. Uh, so that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe, and yeah, we'll be back next week. Yep, we'll be back. Thank you for listening and uh, happy new year.